Well, as many of you know, I've been preaching recently through the book of Acts, and we are going to push pause on that for the remainder of January, and we're going to do a little bit of a vision refresh. Just just a chance for all of us to be reminded again of our church's vision and mission, some things that we value here at this church, what we believe God has called us to do in this church family. And it's important now, I think, we've just gone through a really big transition, switching facilities. There's lots of moving parts right now, and it would be very easy to forget who we are. It's one of the reasons we're doing this vision refresh in January. And as we start here this morning, I just want to give you our mission statement. What do we believe God has called us to do as a church? Here it is on the screen. We aim to make disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered community on mission for the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. That's not just a throwaway statement. That's very important for our life as a church. Just leave that statement up there, if you will, for a minute here. We aim as a church to make disciples or to make mature followers of Christ, which means we want to bring unbelievers to faith in Christ. We want to see believers brought to maturity in Christ. And you can see there in that statement that we aim to make disciples in a very particular way. Three very important words there in that statement. I want to underline them for you. Here they are. We aim to make disciples through gospel, community, and mission. Those right there, those three words, are very big pillars upon which this church is built. Things that we value highly, we emphasize, we believe. And the reason we we do this is because we believe that those three things there are biblical pillars. That, we believe, is how God has designed every church to function, to make disciples through gospel-centered community on mission. And we can see these three pillars here in the book of 1 Peter. I want to give you just a little background for 1 Peter as we get started here. This letter was written by Peter, and he was writing here during the the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero. It was a time of great persecution, the first organized persecution of Christians by the Roman Empire. A very, very bloody time. And one of the themes then in Peter's letter here is suffering. Peter is encouraging all Christians to remain steadfast in this persecution. And Peter tells us here at the start of the book who he was writing this letter here to. If you look at the first verse, Peter says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So this letter was addressed directly to churches in those particular areas, which is now in modern-day Turkey. And Peter calls these Christians elect exiles of the dispersion. So they were elect Peter says, or they were chosen by God, which is the way the Bible describes all believers. If you have truly repented, turned away from your sin, you're now trusting in Christ and following Christ in faith, the Bible says that you have been chosen by God from before the foundation of the world. You are part of his elect people. 
Peter calls them elect. And Peter also says here that these Christians were exiles of the dispersion. Exiles are people living away from their homeland. Dispersed means scattered or spread out. Elect exiles of the dispersion. And Peter, with that phrase, he might have just been describing these particular Christians in his day who had been scattered by this particular persecution, now exiled from their own homelands because of the persecution. But most commentators believe Peter was speaking a little more broadly there with that phrase, a phrase that in Peter's mind describes all Christians to some degree. We are all, as Christians, in some sense, really dispersed exiles. Because our true homeland, now that we trust in Christ, is in heaven. Where we'll one day live in peace with God, face to face with God, forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. And until we reach that final homeland, though, we are exiles. We are exiles In this fallen world, strangers, the Bible says, we are sojourners just passing through this fallen world. We have been dispersed. We have been sovereignly dispersed or scattered by God himself all around the globe. Elect exiles of the dispersion. These Christians that Peter was writing to, but really all Christians to some degree. Degree. It's, it's like the hymn says, on Jordan's stormy banks we now stand here in this life and we now cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy lands in the next life where our true possessions lie. And Peter here in this letter, writing to the elect exiles of the dispersion, well he now tells Christians, he tells all Christians, elect exiles of the dispersion, how we should now live in exile in this present life here on Jordan's stormy banks. And one thing that Peter says in this letter, how should we as Christians, how should we as a local church now live in exile? One thing Peter says here, gospel. We must feed on and we must share the gospel word. The, the good news message of the Bible, the, the good news message of what God has done through Jesus Christ to save sinners and to restore his broken universe, that gospel message, we as a church must feed on and share that gospel. And we see that here in First Peter, all over the book, That is really the first thing that Peter does in this letter. Writing to these churches in exile in this difficult world. And the first thing Peter does here, he gospels these churches. He he reminds these Christians of some precious gospel truths. Things that God has done for them in Christ Jesus. If you look at 1 Peter 1.3, Peter opens his letter with this. And you can just imagine these churches opening his letter, reading the, the scroll of his letter. And here he goes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Just reminding these Christians right off the bat of some precious gospel truths. Remember, Christians, what God has done for you. According to his great mercy, Peter says, verse 3, when you were still lost in sin, you, you were separated from God, you were without hope in this world, God caused you to be born again. God pursued you in your sin. God turned you toward Christ. God caused you to repent, to turn away from sin. God caused you to put your faith in Christ. God put His own Holy Spirit inside of you. Caused you to be born again. And Peter says here something that they've been born again to. He says, you Christians have been born again to a living hope. To a glorious inheritance, Peter says, being kept for you right now. An imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance that can never change or be taken away from you, which you will, Christian, one day receive the second you die, living then face to face with God in the new heavens and the new earth forever. And listen, you, you just think of these Christians suffering under Nero, or you think of your own life now suffering in this fallen world and the pain and the trials and the, 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 the turmoil that we do go through as Christians. Why is Peter reminding Christians of this future inheritance? To sustain us in our present suffering. If you look at 1 Peter 1.13, he says, Therefore... Because of all this gospeling you just gave them. Therefore, Christians, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded in your suffering, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ when Christ returns. In other words, while you stand now, Christians, on Jordan's stormy banks, suffering the, the pain in your life. Cast your eyes on heaven. Remember the inheritance that you have. This grace, this future grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ at the final return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why does Peter want them to cast their eyes on heaven in their suffering? Because a strong confidence in that future inheritance can sustain you in your present suffering. I don't know how you're suffering right now, Christian. I don't know the pain, the turmoil that you are in. But God's scripture would say, set your eyes right now on heaven. Because the pain that you feel is a light momentary affliction compared to the weight of glory you will experience in the new heavens and the new earth. Set your eyes now on the kingdom of heaven. Charles Spurgeon used to say that Christians should live right outside the door or right outside the wall of heaven in this life. Looking at heaven constantly, thinking about heaven, setting their hope fully on that future inheritance. And why should we live right outside the wall of heaven in this life? Spurgeon said, because the grapes of heaven hang over the wall and you can feed on them and they sustain you in your suffering in this life. And you can just see Peter right off the bat in this letter. What a letter. 
What a letter. Could you imagine getting this in pain? And here it comes. And he's just gospeling these believers right off the bat. Reminding them of these precious gospel truths. Things that God had done for them in Christ Jesus. And listen, Peter just continues to gospel these Christians. To gospel us all the way through this letter. Because Peter wants all Christians everywhere in this difficult world to remember who they are. To remember their true identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be despised in this world, Christians. Exiles, you are. You will never really fit with your culture. You just won't. Exiles. Outsiders. Outcasts. But do not forget. (laughs) You have a homeland. You have a living hope. A glorious future inheritance. You are God's children. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are loved. You will be with him. Forever and ever and ever. And man, you think of the gospeling Peter does in this letter here. He's showing us how to live as a church in exile. We must gospel one another relentlessly. We must remind one another of these precious gospel truths. Things that God has done for us in Christ. Who we are now. Our true identity. And listen, not just gospeling one another as believers, but also gospeling unbelievers. Sharing these glorious gospel truths with those who've never heard. And listen, when we do gospel other people as Christians, that is incredibly powerful. It's just incredibly powerful. Do you realize it is in and through this gospel message that God now works to both save and to sanctify? God works through this gospel word to save, to cause people to be born again. Peter says so if you look over at 1 Peter 1.23. Talking to Christians, he says, Since you Christians have been born again, how? Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable Through the living and abiding word of God. Through the gospel. You're born again. You picture a little seed in your hand. Sunflower seed. Something like that. That little seed in your hand. It it appears very dead. It, It looks very lifeless. Sitting there in your hand. But in that little seed. Is a life giving power. And if you take that seed. And you put it in the soil. And you water it. It will produce life. And Peter just said. That this gospel word. This gospel message about Christ. Is an imperishable seed. I hold it in my hand. And it may look very dead and lifeless to, do, to you. But in this seed is a life giving power. And when the Holy Spirit takes it. And hides this seed in a human heart. And waters it. It does produce life. God causes you through the gospel message of Christ. To be born again. God saves through this gospel word. But God also then sanctifies. Through the gospel word. Look at 1 Peter 2.2. 2. 
Peter now says to Christians, like newborn infants, Christians, long or crave for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. And Peter's referring there again to this gospel word about Christ. The good news of what God has done through Jesus, through this gospel word, this is spiritual milk. God doesn't just use this to cause a person to be born again. This is the milk we need to crave as baby Christians in order that we might grow. You mothers know how your little infants craved milk when they were little. Bout drove you crazy, bout killed you, didn't it? And God says, crave this pure spiritual milk like that. Long for it so that you might grow. This gospel is what God uses to both save and sanctify. This is how we make disciples. By gospeling one another, by gospeling unbelievers. And the gospel then is critical for us as a church. How should we live now as a church in exile? Man, we must feed on and share this gospel message about Christ, a gospel-centered, gospel-saturated church, which is what we aim for in this church. We don't do it perfectly, but it's what we aim for. It's not rocket science. We encourage you as an individual to live in this gospel message so that you might grow as, as, as a Christian. We, we encourage one another here to share the gospel with, with each other. We put gospel truths in our songs, in our sermons, in our classes. We want every Christian here to learn how to gospel other people. All the Christians in this church, as Ephesians 4 says, doing the work of the ministry. It's not one person just preaching to a whole church and that's all that happens. No, it's everybody sharing the gospel with one another and with outsiders. So that's one biblical pillar we see in 1 Peter. How should we live as a church here in exile gospel? And a second thing we can see here, how shall we live? Community. We must aim as a church to live in community, in, in fellowship with the other believers in our local church family. And you just pause on that for a second. Do you realize we start talking about community? First of all, that's a word that a lot of churches throw around. We've got to be careful with that word. We're talking about biblical fellowship, participating, sharing in one another's lives. And do you realize when, we are called, when God calls Christians in America to be together, to live with other Christians, to be known by other Christians, do you recognize how countercultural that is in America? That is swimming upstream, Christian. Why? Because here in America, we tend to be very individualistic. That's just the American way. Independent. You remember the show, The Lone Ranger? Well, that's American. It's just you and Tonto, right? And the problem is, here in America, is that we carry this individualistic independence into our Christianity. And we think it's just me and my personal Jesus. And it's not about just me and my personal Jesus. That is not biblical. That is sin. Yes, God, God saves you individually. 
Yes, God calls you very personally, calls you by name and draws you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, but God saves you into a community. He saves you into the body of Christ. You're now a member of a family. And listen, this spiritual family, spirit runs deeper than blood. Your spiritual family is now deeper than your blood family. You're in a spiritual family now. You, you don't, as a Christian, you don't now just have this personal identity in Christ. You're not just a, a Christian. No, you also now have a corporate identity in Christ. You're part of the body of, of Christ. And Peter, in this letter, he reminds us of our corporate identity. You look over at 1 Peter 2.5. He says, you yourselves, you Christians, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And you just look at those verses there. Peter's saying there that we individually were just solitary stones. Just solitary stones. Now we're living stones. Was solitary, but we are being built up together into a spiritual house, the temple of the living God. And you see what the Bible says? It's not just you, Christian, who are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is we who are the temple of the Holy Spirit together. And Peter says we're being built up into a holy priesthood together, offering spiritual sacrifices to God. So again, it's not just you, Christian. Who are being built up to be a priest to God, to offer sacrifices to God as you live a holy life. It is we together who are being built up into a holy priesthood. It's not just you and your personal Jesus. It is we together. And you can look over at 1 Peter 2.9. He just continues to, to stress this corporate identity we have. He says, but you Christians are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We together are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, as he's already said, a holy nation. We are a people for God's own possession. Do, do you know, contrary to popular belief in American Christianity, popular, or contrary to popular belief, God's plan from all eternity was not just to save individuals. And to create then just a bunch of Lone Ranger Christians. No, that was not God's plan. God's plan from all eternity was to create a people. A people that God could reveal His glory to. God's plan was to take a bunch of Lone Ranger sinners, isolated from other humans, and to create out of them in Christ a people. If you look at 1 Peter 2.10, he says, Once you, Christians, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And here's the thing. Now that we have this corporate identity in the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? Well, God expects us now to live that out in community with 
the other believers in a local church. God expects us to live in close fellowship. And listen, fellowship is not just a once a week meal off in a drab fellowship hall in some church building. No, fellowship, you are participating, you are sharing in one another's lives. And you can tell that's Peter's expectation here. That Christians would live together in some sort of regular close community because of all these verses in this letter where Peter tells Christians how to live together in community. All of these one another verses that Peter gives in this letter. If you look at 1 Peter 1.22, just catch the one another language here as he speaks to these Christians. He says, having purified your souls, Christians, by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love... Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Or look at 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, Christians, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Or look at 1 Peter 5, 5, middle of the verse. Clothe yourselves, Christians, all of you, with humility toward one another. It's all through this letter. These one another statements that Peter keeps giving us here. Love one another, he says. Show hospitality to one another. Actually let people in your home. Actually let the Christians in your church eat your food. And sleep on your couch, if necessary. (laughs) Whatever. Use your particular gifts, he says, to serve one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And Peter goes on in this letter, instructs us to put away malice with one another. Put away deceit and hypocrisy and envy with one another. So, so be honest with one another. Be authentic, be kind, be caring to one another. And he's talking about the Christians in a local church family. And Peter's clear expectation in giving all these verses is that we would be living in some sort of regular close community with one another. That we would be living in some sort of fellowship, sharing in one another's lives, not just in here on Sunday morning. But out there throughout the week. Family. Living out our corporate identity in Christ in community with one another. Which is what we aim to do in our church. We don't do it perfectly, but we aim for it. We don't just want to be together on Sunday mornings. As great as this is, this is not all church is. Church, do you realize it's not a service? Church is not a meeting. It's not a building. Church is not something you go to. You know what church is in the biblical sense? It's the people of God. And you are part of not just a Sunday meeting, but the people of God. And God expects you to live that out in the context of a local church family. And we aim to do that. We talk a lot here in this church about living life together. Or about living life on life. Not just being together in here, but out there. Which is how we make disciples of one another. It's out there on a daily basis where we can practice Peter's one another verses here. Do you realize all the one another verses in the Bible? You cannot fulfill them all on Sunday morning. The the, the scriptures say forgive one another. And we all come in here and try not to sin against each other. So you don't have a lot of opportunity to forgive one another if all you do is sitting beside some 
beside another person. But if you're in my house throughout the week, I will sin and I will have to ask you to forgive me. And you can then put that verse into practice and forgive me in Christ Jesus. It's out there we can do these one another verses. It's out there we can make disciples of one another. It's out there we can all gospel one another. Remind one another of these truths here. It's funny, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. Or one Christian sharpens another Christian. You hear Christians talk about that a lot. One Christian, uh, iron sharpens iron, and then all we're together is on Sunday morning. Listen, in order for iron to sharpen iron, they got to be together, and they got to rub. And as they rub, as you're experiencing conflict and walking through that with the other believers around you, now you get to forgive, now you get to grow, now you mature in Christ, you're being sharpened. No, we just want to be together. We joke sometimes saying, you know, when we ask you to be together out there, we were trying to cause conflict. We are to some degree because God changes us in and through conflict. As we stay committed to one another and seek to walk through that in love. So that's the second biblical pillar here then we can see in 1 Peter. How should we live as a church in exile? Well, we would say gospel. And Peter would say gospel, community, And one final thing here, how should we live as a church? Mission. You know, God's plan from all eternity, it wasn't just to have a people so we could then just wall ourselves off from the world, little holy huddles, till Christ returns. No, God saves us and he calls us into this community called the church in order that we then together might declare to a lost and dying world, the glories of this God who, who saves us. If you look again at 1 Peter 2.9. Peter says, but you Christians are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Pause, because here comes the purpose statement. That word that signals the purpose statement. Why are we a chosen nation? Why are we a royal priesthood? Why are we a holy nation, a people for his own possession? That, or in order that, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God saves us and he brings us into this crazy community called the church in order that together we might Proclaim to a lost and dying world the excellencies of the one who saved us. Sharing with our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers, the lost people around us, the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God calls us into community and he sends us out together on mission. Making disciples now, not just of other believers, but also of unbelievers. And please hear me, we do need to get out to do that. We cannot wait for unbelievers to come in here to our service or to our little Bible studies. Surveys say that there are now 85 million people in America who say they will never go to a Christian church service. So we must go out to them, which is biblical. Jesus said so. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, he said, go, go out and make disciples. 
And listen, that's one of the primary reasons in this letter why Peter tells us to love one another in community. Why do we love one another in community? It's, it's not just so we can then have all these loving holy huddles walled off from the rest of the world. No, why do we love in community? Here's one of the reasons. Because the love we have for one another, that is extremely powerful to a watching world. All through this letter, Peter tells us to love one another. He says, serve one another. Be hospitable to one another. And he then says repeatedly things like this in 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles or among the unbelievers honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And he says things like that all through the book. Peter's expectation in this letter is that we as Christians would live in community with one another, loving one another well as God in Christ has loved us, and Peter's expectation is that our loving community would then be seen by a watching world. That they would see our good deeds That they would see our love for one another. The way we forgive one another and walk through conflict with one another and are hospitable to one another. Peter's expectation, we do this and that the outside world would see it. Why? Because that's the community that God created us for. And people know it in their hearts. They long for this life-on-life community. And we see it among Christians when it's done well. And listen, Peter's just getting at the same thing Jesus said in Matthew 5.14. Jesus said this. He said, you Christians, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine. Where? In a holy huddles? No. Let your light shine Before others, do not lock it away in your church building. Let it shine, open it up, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know what God's expectation for us is as a church in exile in this dark world? You know what His expectation for us is? That we would be a community of light, loving one another really well, and that we would actually be seen. As a community of light. Not just a bunch of loving, holy huddles, but opening our lives, opening our homes, opening up our community to outsiders so the world can then see the love that exists in the body of Christ. So that the world can then see God Himself. So the world can then see Christ Himself manifested in and through our love for one another. Steve Temis, author of Total Church, he says this, God's plan from all eternity was to have a people He could reveal His glory to, a people He could display His glory through. We've talked a lot through the years about B-I-G, B-I-G, big. B, build relationships with unbelievers, with your lost neighbors, your co-workers and so on. I, then introduce those unbelievers into your Christian community here in your church family. 
It doesn't necessarily mean bring them to a church service. Bring them to a meal at your house. And invite a couple of your believing friends to be at the meal too. But let those outsiders see your good works with one another. Let them see you loving them. B, build relationships. I, introduce into your Christian community. G, they can then see and hear the gospel in, in those pockets of community within the church. And listen, those three pillars we believe are very, very biblical. Gospel, community, and mission. Those are three pillars upon which this church is built. And that takes us back to our mission statement. Christ Redeemer Church, if we moved, as we've moved into this new facility, lots of moving parts, let's not forget who we are. We are not just about a Sunday service. We are not just about a couple Bible studies throughout the week. We are built, we believe, we are called by God, we believe, as a church to live here in exile, making disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered community on mission. It's not easy, but nobody said Christianity would be. So we just keep going back to what we believe are very scriptural principles. May God help us to remain faithful to His Word as a local church. I want to call Pastor Thomas up here. At this time, <clears throat> one of the best ways in our church that we can all practice this gospel community and mission is in our, our life groups. Thomas is pastor over our life groups, doing an excellent job over our life groups. And we've asked Thomas to share for just a few minutes about our life groups. All right. Yeah, good morning. Um, uh, again, if you happen not to know it, as Pastor Brett said, I'm Thomas. Um, I'm one of the pastors here with the church, and, and uh, the responsibility, I have some responsibility over our life group's uh, ministry here. And as uh, Pastor Brett has mentioned, these, these big foundational values, principles, I like to think of them as, as three parts or, or components or aspects to a discipleship and a discipleshaping, uh, disciple-making lifestyle, this gospel community and mission and uh as he's speaking to those things and he just mentioned we really believe that it's it's going to be um in our life groups that we have the the best context to really live this stuff out um this is it's not a silver bullet but this is life groups will be our best um context in which we'll have the best chance to have the most robust experience of these values that uh brett has just been uh, talking about. Uh, life groups are going to be the best um, uh, context where we can better understand, come to better understand these values, and to better experience the benefit of these values, and where we're going to be most uh, mobilized and energized to actually pursue these things, live these things out, actually put these things into practice uh, throughout our lives uh, each week. Um, and we see a vision for life groups, I think, in one of my favorite passages, uh, this is, so look at this with me here for a minute. This is Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, and I think we see a vision for life groups here. So uh, verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Okay, that's the gospel. Basically, that's the gospel, the hope of the gospel that Brett has talked about. Let us hold fast to the gospel. He goes on, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Okay, that's one way to speak about mission. Missional love and good works. And then verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, uh, encouraging one another. So, so that's community. So you can actually see our, uh, those big pillars at, in that passage there, gospel, mission, community. And uh, so that passage is really saying, make a priority of being together as fellow believers. Make a priority of consistently being together in community. And when you're in community, what are you doing? You're encouraging one another. Encouraging one another to hold on to the gospel. Hold on to the hope of the gospel. And you're also stirring up one another to, to love and good works. To missional love and good works with that same community. And again, that's really the vision um, of life groups. That's, that's what we aim for. That's what we want to see happening in our life groups. Um, and we really do need each other for this. We can't do this on our own. There's just no way. I think you know there's just no way we can hold on to the hope of the gospel if we don't have the help of others who are holding on to the hope of the gospel, sort of holding on to us and helping us. It's a major means of God's grace for us that he gives us into a community that consistently encourages us to look to Jesus, to fix our eyes on Jesus. This community that consistently calls us and encourages us to hold on to the hope that we have in the gospel. Um, While at the same time, a community that consistently calls us uh, not only to get the comfort that we, is available to us in the gospel, but also to step out, walk out, live out the call, the missional call of love and good works that we also have in the gospel. And uh, this really is um, what God calls his people to, and we, we very much want to be a part of this. And uh, as we've said, life groups gives, up, gives us a path for that, uh, to do these things. It really is hard, and Pastor Brent mentioned this, it's, it's hard to live out this kind of a life if all we sort of have is showing up on a Sunday morning, if you're just invested in the goings-on of a Sunday morning, it's going to be hard to, to really walk out this life that, that God calls us to. And so I want to encourage you, uh, get involved in a life group. Get invested in a life group. And I, I, I full disclosure, you know, again, this is not a silver bullet. I mean, our, our, our existing life groups are by no means perfect. I mean, each of our groups that exist currently, they're, they're, it's more or less a work in progress. And they're more or less functional or dysfunctional, and more, in, in, depending on sort of which value we're, we're, we're thinking about. So but it's a work in progress. It's a gracious work of God in progress. Um, but, but we do want you to experience deeply these values that Brett's talked about, and, uh, and we think life groups is the best path for that. Really, if you want to experience i think in the main though they're not perfect in the main if you want to experience um kind of have a deep experience of these these pillars and you want to grow in understanding them uh if you want to be helped to be mobilized and equipped to to, to put them into practice then then uh, life groups are the path for that and so if you're already in a life group um that is so good and i want to encourage you to keep on keeping on keep uh, leaning onto the, on the Holy Spirit to help you press deeper um, and press further and go further with, uh, with your life groups. Again, not, a, not a, uh, a, a silver bullet, a work in progress, but we really do uh, 
want as many people as possible to be involved in that. And we're working, trying to raise up leaders and, and mobilize groups to be able to accommodate as many people as are willing to jump in and, uh, and get involved. Um, so if you're not in a life group, then please do uh, talk to me and let's get connected. I'd love to help you uh, find a place in a group. Again, I think that if you, if you will invest yourself in a life group, and it is an investment, if you will invest yourself in a life group, you will come to understand the gospel of Christ better. You will come to be helped to be more intimate with the Christ of the gospel and with the people of the gospel. And you will be more stirred up and mobilized for the mission of the gospel. All these things, much more than you ever will be if you're just invested in Sunday mornings. I really believe that. So I encourage you to get involved. Um, so to help us to do that, um, our life groups, we, they basically consist of three components. We call these our three practices of our life groups. In other words, are namely the, the family meal, DNA groups, and missional engagement. So our family meals, what are those? Those are basically the gathering of the whole group, men, women, children, at least once a month, gathering together just to enjoy each other, just to enjoy a meal together, enjoy each other around a meal and sort of cultivate the spirit of family uh, in that group um, that we are as, as part of God's people. And then our DNA groups, those are sort of subsets of our uh, life group, and those are groups of three to five men or women, and they're going to get together at least twice a month, and they get together in order to really comfort and challenge one another. Get together, help one another hear from God in the Bible, hear from God through spiritual gifts perhaps, and to, again, just uh, uh, comfort one another with the hope of the gospel and challenge one another also on to live that life that is pleasing to God. And then uh, missional engagement. Uh, and, I, and I should make this note. So for those of you who have kind of been around for a while and you've, you, 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 you know a little bit about life groups, uh, our, our language and expectations have changed here just a little bit. We used to call this part mission focus. Okay, now we're uh, calling it missional uh, engagement. But that uh, the idea with mission focus is that you, your whole group together would kind of have one singular specific mission to a single person or people that you're all sort of on board with. With missional engagement, that tweak of the language and expectations a little bit, it sort of uh, uh, widens that out just a bit. And, and basically the idea here is that the life group is being intentional to, uh, to encourage one another, to support one another, to challenge one another, to be on mission in their lives, in their spheres of influence, where they live, work, and play, um, whether that's individually or at times also together as a group. So missional engagement really comes down to what Pastor Brett said about B.I.G. Again, it's, it's, it's intentionally helping, challenging, supporting one another in your group to live big. Again, B, building relationships with unbelievers. I, introducing or inviting them into the Christian community. Um, and and uh, G, the gospel, declaring the gospel and, and demonstrating the gospel uh, to unbelievers. One writer says this um, related to missional engagement. He says, missional engagement is about connecting with neighbors and friends, co-workers or family members in a way that allows them to see the love of God in the group. This is one of the practices of having, or, or rather, this is about the practice of having meaningful conversations, being present with people around us, making time for our neighbors, listening to what's going on in their lives, and hospitality. Being missional means demonstrating a different way of life so that people can see how we live and how God lives through us. This is love, and, and when we love over time, 
the small things add together and make a huge uh, difference. So th th this is a little bit of what we mean by missional engagement, both individually and individually uh, working with your group to actually pull others in the group with you as the Spirit might give wisdom for that to be with you um, in with the people or the places that you're, you're reaching out. So again, we want to do this this gospel-centered community uh, uh, thing together, on mission together, and we really think life groups are going to give us the best chance to do that. So want to, again, encourage you to get involved. So if you're not involved, you want to get involved, let me know. I would love to connect with you about that. Um, and if you are um, uh, relatively new to our church, um, you do want to get involved. We actually are... are um, uh, trying to get launched, and we're hoping next Sunday we will get this launched. We're going to have a, a group that will meet for their family meal. We'll have a life group that will meet for their family meal right here um, at Eastridge after the Sunday service, maybe twice a month. And the idea there is that anybody and everybody that's interested in life groups, that's not involved, wants to get connected, they can show up there and take that sort of first step to get connected with the people in the church. Again, maybe you're new here and you don't know many people. So a first step to get connected, start building some community and sort of uh, get on a path to uh, stepping out of that into a more long-term life group option for you. So there'll be more news about that uh, coming, but hopefully our first one of those things will be next Sunday. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Amen. You know, the way I've described our life groups, uh, you may have heard the, the, the illustration before of a trellis. So if you have a vine and you want the vine to grow in a certain direction, you kind of put a little trellis around it to help it go in a certain direction. Well, the church is the vine, and we believe biblically good direction for the vine is in the direction of gospel community and mission. So we put a trellis around it called, called life groups to help us go in that direction. They're not perfect, but nothing in this life ever will be. And, and it can be messy at times, and it can be slow. But you know what's amazing about the kingdom of God? Slow is fast, and small is big. God works in ways that, that we are just not used to. He works different than the world works. Messy is how God works in and through that. So we thank God for our life groups. If you are interested in finding out more, you can connect with Pastor Thomas. Um, uh, we are just so grateful and pray the Lord will help us to continue on as a church that makes disciples through gospel community and mission. As we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, let's go ahead and pray here. Well, Father, we do thank you for your plan, Lord, your plan to bring uh, uh, all these isolated sinners together uh, uh, in and through Christ to forgive us of our sins. And to unite us to one another through Christ, that bond of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you've created this people to reveal your glory too. But also this people that you might display your glory through. And so we would just ask you for your help, Father, in these things. We would just commit them to you, Lord. Pray for your grace. We trust, Lord, that as our hearts are aligned with your word, as our, as, our, as our practices are aligned with your word, that we will experience your blessings upon those things. So will you help us, Lord, to just align our hearts with your word? 
how you want us to live as Christians, as a church here in exile. So we do thank you and pray now, Father, as we, as we move into the Lord's Supper, you would bless our time here. We thank you, in Jesus' name. Well, the Lord's Supper reminds us of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the bread represents his body, which was crushed for sinners. The cup represents his blood, which was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. The Lord's Supper, for you, Christian, it is proof, again, that God loves you. Do you know that the cross, the Bible says, God demonstrates his love for us most clearly in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're now trusting in Christ by faith, you're seeking to follow Christ. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are loved. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder that you are loved. So I pray the Lord will help you to remember that today. As we talk about coming into community and experiencing the love in community, talk about going out to share the love. May God help you again here today to taste his love for you in and through Christ. We practice open communion in our church. That means you don't need to be a member to receive the Lord's Supper. You do need to belong to Christ. And so if you have truly turned away from your sin and repentance, you are now trusting in Christ as your Savior and Master. You're seeking to follow Christ, seeking to obey what He says in the Scriptures. This Lord's Supper is for you. If you've not genuinely turned away from your sin and repentance, you're not trusting truly in Christ. He's not really your Master. You're still kind of the master of your own life. I would ask you to just let the Lord's Supper pass this morning and to consider what it's all about and repent of your sin, trust in Christ, and receive it next time we come together. We will go ahead and pass the elements again this morning so you can just remain in your seat as we try to figure out the best way to do it here in our new facility. Please receive both the bread and the cup as they come by and just hold them. We will take them all together in just a minute. We'll go ahead and invite Pastor Thomas back up again and the servers. If you will join us up front here, Pastor Thomas will give thanks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what this bread and cup represent. You died to save sinners. We confess, Lord, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, by what we have left undone. And we are thankful that we can receive forgiveness because of what is represented here in this bread, in this cup. And so help us to feast with delight in Jesus' name. Amen.